wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Hello. Oh my gosh. I feel like I have been gone for five years. I think I did my last broadcast the end of June. And I know I said goodbye because the 4th of July was coming up and I knew there would be lots of family activities and things like that. And, um, but let me tell you where I have been. Not that you care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So we, back in December, when our youngest son was in the hospital, Um, he had just been struggling for over a year in and out of the hospital and he was in the hospital and it was December. And, um, we just thought, you know, we're down in Arizona and we need to find maybe a, a, um, snowbird type thing. We need to find a place to go with him when it's 120 degrees in Arizona, because he is, he was completely dependent on a wheelchair. Wheelchairs are made out of metal. Um, I don't want to be sitting in a metal chair when it's 120 degrees outside. So we started looking into it and we found a little condo and we flew up, we uh, looked at it and we thought this would be great. It had big, wide hallways and it had three bedrooms. So there would be one for our caregiver, one for him, and then one for us. And we thought this will be a perfect place. So we hired a contractor to start remodeling and we left and we just trusted this contractor. And then our son passed away the end of December. And we're like, okay, do we still need a getaway for, for the hot summers in Arizona? And we decided, yeah, you know, we kind of do. It's It gets to the point where you don't even want to go outside. I mean, like they're telling you, don't go outside, you'll die. And so we flew back a couple times. We were a little concerned that some of the remodeling wasn't moving along as quickly as we thought it should. Um, but we trusted this guy and he seemed very capable. But when we got up there the 1st of July, we were dumbstruck. We were like, what is happening here? We're moving in, dude. And he was like, well, you didn't tell me when you were moving in. We're like, you've been here for seven months. When did you think we were? And when we brought the furniture up two weeks ago, what did you think we were doing? You know, so we ended up having to fire him. And then we've um, we had to move in. And then we've had to hire contractors to finish what he didn't finish. And in many cases, uh, rip out what he did really poorly and or maybe even horribly. So that's what's been going on. So having a podcast with uh, electricians and plumbers and contractors and tile workers in my home has not been um, 
uh, doable. So we actually flew back to Arizona for the weekend. Um, we kind of had to get away from all those people in our house. And we flew back to our home in Arizona. And here I am in my studio in Arizona. And I love it. And it's actually been kind of cloudy and cool and a little rainy here in Arizona. So it's been great. But anyway, we're back to our snowbird home tomorrow. But I wanted to get a podcast in before I go back to the chaos. The chaos is almost done. But I have been listening to a lot of podcasts while I've been on my little journey and uh, driving around, picking up tile and things in, in, uh, in Utah, where we're at. And um, one of the last podcasts that I listened to, I love Mormon Land. How many of you listen to the Salt Lake Tribune Mormon Land podcast? It's hosted by uh, Dave Noyce and Peggy Fletcher Stack. And um, it's once a week and it's not very long. It's usually a half hour, 35 minutes. And it's great. And they, they just cover a lot of different topics that have to do somehow with the church. Um, but they try to present a kind of a, a nice scale of, of uh, what's going on. But this last one particularly struck me and it just got in my craw. And I'll tell you why. Um, they brought on and I'll, I'll tell you more about him. They brought on a gentleman that is the um, uh, vice president of a nonprofit called Bountiful Children, uh, Children's Foundation, Bountiful Children's Foundation. And um, he was talking about how he had started this, this nonprofit and where it was going and why it wasn't growing the way he wanted it to grow. But as he talked about his, plan of implementing no more funding for this foundation, it was very obvious that he is trying to work with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. In fact, he wants to make his foundation kind of part of the humanitarian arm of the, uh, of the church. And it just irked me to no end. And we're gonna, so that's what we're going to discuss today. And now don't get on here and start like, uh, let me see, where's my, I'm going to, I'm going to go over here. And just in case there's, uh, you know, any comments, don't yell at me and say, oh, you're a Debbie Downer and you're always negative and you can't look for the positive and things because we're going to talk about the positive. And obviously the people that are involved in this particular organization are kind wonderful, sacrificial type people. They are giving their time, talent, and everything to help feed starving LDS children in all parts of the, of the world. And hello, that is not a bad thing. So I am not saying anything negative about what they're trying to do. But what I found offensive was, sorry, Bednar, um, what I found offensive was his mentality of how it should be picked up by the arm of the church and how in his mind he can't understand why the church isn't coordinating with them or even adopting this, this nonprofit into their program and completely funding it. And I, and so I, he doesn't, he says it in the most, the kindest, really perplexing way. He really honestly doesn't understand. And as the former president of a nonprofit, I think that's why it irked me a little bit because I went into the nonprofit that my family organized with the same naivety. I honestly thought 
that all of the nonprofits out there in the world are working under volunteers, that the administration is volunteer, the board of directors are volunteers, the you know, boots on the ground people are volunteers, and that all the money that comes into these foundations is, is the money that they use to serve the people. That's how naive I was. Um, it was very eye-opening. And it, my eyes started to become opened when my husband and I were recruited to go to a fundraising event for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And this was before we had really, I didn't know anything about nonprofits, but I knew about Make-A-Wish. And so we went to this, this fundraising dinner and they would bring these children or what they would do is they would they would have a table of eight and they would sit one of the children that had been a benefactor of the foundation at your table. And then they would show like the movie of what these children, different children had gone through. And they would ask the children to tell everybody at the table what they had gone through. And I remember I was a little perplexed because here's a very healthy young girl sitting at our table who had been diagnosed with cancer, but she had gone through her chemotherapy and she was now completely cancer free. And the Make-A-Wish Foundation had sent her and her family to the, the uh, mall. Is it in Wisconsin or Minnesota? Is it in Minnesota? I'll have to ask Lila. Um, and that was her wish is that they could go shopping at this mall. And I was like, really? your wish okay well whatever and then they brought a family on onto the stage beautiful little family mom and a dad and two little girls and the father worked for u.s bank and there was a table sitting next to us that everyone at this table worked for u.s bank and they told their story and they said you know we had a planned trip to disneyland and everything was planned and we had paid for all our tickets and everything and then a couple days before we were supposed to go our daughter got sick and we thought, oh, no, we're going to Disneyland. And she just, it got worse and worse. And we ended up having to take her into emergency. And she was diagnosed with this life-threatening illness. I can't remember if it was cancer or what the illness was. But, you know, we've now gone through a year of medical treatment. This little girl is fine. And now Make-A-Wish is going to send us to Disneyland. And I'm like, but you were already going to go to Disneyland and you'd already paid for it. So why is Make-A-Wish giving your family a trip to Disneyland when there are other families out there that can't afford to go to Disneyland. So that was interesting. Well, then my husband, because he, you know, he, we were all sitting at this table and he had brought people in from work and they raised their hand and they bought one of the coloring pictures that this little girl that's sitting at the table right next to us. Uh, we bought one of her pictures for, I think it was $10,000. Of course, it was a corporate donation from my husband's business, $10,000 for a color painting. Anyway, and, um, and then they said, would you be willing to work on a project for Make-A-Wish? And my husband was like, yeah, absolutely. So they came, the, one of the administrators came and told him about this little girl that had requested a playhouse in her backyard. And they, uh, they said, so will you build the playhouse? And my husband said, sure. So will you buy all the materials for the playhouse? And, and will you actually build it? And then with your crane, will you deliver the playhouse to the backyard? So my husband was like, okay. So they bought all the materials. Um, some of the guys that worked for him were carpenters and they built this cute little playhouse. And then he took a crane out to the home and he you know, lifted the, the playhouse and put it in the backyard. And, um, and then Make-A-Wish Foundation said, uh, the Make-A-Wish Foundation has donated this playhouse to this little girl. And I was like, actually you didn't, Campbell Crane did, you didn't. 
And, and that was, that was kind of the beginning of my skepticism for nonprofits. Since then, I've looked into a lot of other ways that nonprofits work and it's kind of disheartening, actually. It's, it's really kind of sad. Um, the, the money, uh, I have a couple of neighbors that I, that have retired from their businesses. They were very successful women and they now serve on different boards and they are making over $200,000 a year as sitting on these boards. And that's for nonprofits. So there you go. There's your administration. So I, when I listened to this podcast, I was just, I was a little confused at his naivety. And then I was also not confused, but actually upset at the fact, and this is my feminism coming out at the fact that he is a white male priesthood holder with authority. He is a doctor and with his position, which is very common in the LDS church, if you're a doctor, you're a white male, then chances are you're, you have some sort of uh, patriarchy in the church. And with that authority, he was able to kind of go above and beyond the rules that the church has uh, to try to get people to support his, um, his foundation. So let me start out. Um, first of all, I'm going to I'm going to basically read from the transcripts from the podcast. So uh, David Noyce starts out by saying last week, officials with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints announced a combined donation of 44 million to a number of nonprofit organizations dealing with global hunger. The Relief Society president, Camille Johnston, head of the Faith's Global Women's Organization, said, we are grateful to have the means to collaborate with wonderful organizations and provide relief to children and young mothers in dire need. And I thought, wow, it's, you know, August of 2023, and you're just now figuring out that you uh, are able to collaborate with wonderful organizations and donate 44 million. I know that sounds like a lot, but really 44 million out of 250 billion. Anyway, um, we are grateful to have the means to collaborate, collaborate with wonderful organizations and provide relief to children and young mothers in dire need. But what about starving Latter-day Latter Saint children, specifically in developing countries after seeing hungry kids at church during his Latter-day Saint mission to Ecuador, Las Vegas physician Brad Walker returned decades later and launched the Liahona Children's Foundation to provide a caloric and vitamin supplement to those suffering from malnutrition. It began small, but now his nonprofit, which changed its name two years ago to the Bountiful Children's Foundation, actively serves nearly 20,000 children and many of their mothers in 16 countries, according to its website, and is working with the Children's Division over humanitarian services for members. But the need remains great, and Walker joins us today via Zoom to explain those needs and how this new collaboration is working and sometimes not working. They're he's talking about a collaboration with the church. So I'm going to bring on my um, co-host co in crime, uh, Lila Tuller, and she's going to join me today. And we're going to talk about some of the things that, as we were listening to the podcast, we were kind of like, I don't know about that. Starting out with the 44 million, <laughs> right, Lila? <That's> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We started out by kind of going, really? 44 million? I mean, and I know people say, um, you know, that you guys are so negative. You're not giving any credit where credit is due. And we're like, hey, thank you. But come on, really? You know? Yeah. So, what was your first, when you first listened to the podcast, 
What was your first reaction? Okay, well, I came at it from maybe a different vantage point than you did because I've never been involved with a nonprofit and I didn't have the built-in skepticism that you have because you've been around it and you know kind of how things operate. And so I heard this guy who has, you know, this nonprofit who is trying his best to feed these children and he has a very limited budget and is not able to give them the quality of food because there's so many children in need they can't afford to give them quality food. It, they can't give them any of the protein from sources like chicken or beef or fish or anything like that. It, they're basically able to only afford to give and only a portion of the children still and their mothers dry milk, basically cow, cow's milk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought about, I was, and it's vitamin fortified, you know, with macronutrients or whatever, this dry milk. And that is what they're giving these kids. And I thought to myself, ah, they need more money. They need more funding. And I know a place that has a ton of money. And these are LDS kids, mostly, that this guy is reaching out towards. And I thought, okay, we have a church. So I'm looking at it from a, another perspective than you, Renee. Yeah. I'm thinking, we have this church with... 200 and whatever. We don't, I don't know the exact amount. I don't think anyone knows the exact amount. <laughs> we know that it's around $200 billion right. in the Enzyme Peak Fund, right. not to mention what they have invested in the stock market and um, that they're hiding in shell companies. You know, <laughs> got busted for that. Right. But here they have, when you look at the math, right? I took the 44 million and I took the 200 billion. That comes out to like, if it was just a hundred billion, that comes to 0.04% is what they're donating. And I, I just thought, you know, they ask us for 10% or members, 10% for tithing, but they're not giving 10%. They're, they're hoarding that money and then they're making, they're, they're investing it and they're making money on our donations rather than using the money that we give them, like almost all of it, instead of what, instead of building temples here and there and all over the world where that we don't even need temples because there's not enough membership. I'm going, I'm kind of ranting right now, but you know, they could so much better use that money to feed the children that are starving, that are part of their membership. I mean, isn't that why we donate our tithing and our fast offerings? Isn't it because we think there's going to be some good done with it. Right. And that's what we thought until that's, recently. Yeah. That's what we think. That's what we, we think is going on. Well, they, That's what we were told. Right. That's, that's what we were taught and that's why we gave it. And so my first thought was, geez, the church is being freaking stingy, not yeah. helping this guy. You know, he comes to them for help saying, Hey, there's all these starving children. I only have this much of a budget. Can you guys help? Right. How much money? And, and you're thinking of it in a little different way. So I'll let you. Well, no. And, and, and that was the thing. As I listened to it, I'm kind of going back and forth and back and forth because you can hear in his voice. He came back from his mission in Ecuador. He saw the starving children and he was like, I have to do something. I have to do something. And because he is a white male priesthood holder in the church, 
I think he and he lives in in Las Vegas where a lot of LDS people. And I think he sees the hierarchy and the, the way this corporation is set up. And he's like, this is fabulous. This is a fabulous organization. Why reinvent the wheel? I'm just going to work with the church and we're going to, you know, we're going to work together and we're going to just annihilate star starving children all over the world. Right. And so he says that um, he said um, in the year 1999, I went to Ecuador and met up with a a pediatric stake president. I love that. I love that he, he starts out by naming him as a pediatric stake president. I'm like, how do you, how are you a children's stake president? I think you're, anyway. Uh, so obviously he was a pediatrician and a stake president who told me about the malnutri malnutrition program where I served my mission. I'd seen plenty of it during the missions, but I'd left my mission almost 20 years earlier. So he asked me to try to do something about it. So the first thing I tried to do was contact people at church headquarters and see if he, if we could make some progress that way. I did get a high level response and some people tried to help me, but ultimately told me that if anything was going to happen, we had to make it happen on our own. So that's what he was told. And then he said that he, uh, he, he published an article that went out in a dialogue uh, about childhood malnutrition. And it was the uh, a journal of Mormon thought that won some kind of issues and essay awards in 2002 and 2003. So once I heard that we had to be the ones that made it happen, then we tried to make it happen. So we set up an initial foundation to deal with malnutrition. It was just in Ecuador and in a couple of States in Ecuador that led to a battle with the area welfare manager who shut the project down. So that was in 2007. So we said, oh, gee, that was ugly. What do we do now? And then we came up with the thought that we should work through the stake presidents. Mm -hmm. So we started calling the stake presidents as funding allowed. And that was when my brain exploded and I went, you did what? And, there, and I think that's where my skepticism stepped in because I thought, you can't call stake presidents. You can't. It says in the handbook, you can't call stake presidents for a personal business. In fact, there's a section in the handbook. I don't know if I can find it now, but there's a section in the handbook that actually, let me see if I, if I actually like took a screenshot of it or something that would have been way too smart to do. It says, oh no, this one, well, this one was about, uh, this one was about the church providing uh, assistance. So oh, that's funny. That's a whole other thing. Um, I didn't take a screenshot of that one, but there's a section in the new handbook. And the, the beauty of the new handbook is it's available to anyone. You just type in LDS handbook and it's no longer a secret. You know, my husband was in the stake presidency and in the, in the bishopric. So we always had a handbook sitting around, which came in handy when he had to defend something that I would argue about. He'd go get the handbook. But anyway, so in the new handbook, it specifically says that um, you cannot use any kind of church association um, right. to promote a business that can be considered uh, some kind of fraud fraud. If you're using your relationship with other affinity people, affinity fraud, affinity fraud. That's right. It would, that's what it would be considered if for monetary gain, you were using your association with the church. Now, this is not a fraudulent company that's trying to rip people off, but they are trying to gain a, monetarily. And so the fact that he over, you know, he took his authority and said, I'll just call stake presidents directly. Now, let me give you another reason why that upset me. Years ago, I published a funky little book that um, I was kind of in the process of 
going through, and I hate this term because it's so overused, but my, was, I was loading up my shelf, right? But I didn't know I was. I, I was just... I was just getting frustrated. The temple was, was a problem for me and there was a lot of patriarchy I was dealing with, but I didn't even think, I just kind of thought it was local, right? I got some local leaders that are egomaniacs, right? I didn't think of it as a church problem. Yeah. So I wrote this book and my editor was so smart. She kept saying, is that what you, who's your demographic? Who are you trying to reach? And I kept saying, well, I'm, I'm trying to reach, you know, uh, women in the church that have children with disabilities. And, and she could tell that I was conflicted because I was trying to come across as this believing Mormon that, you know, loved the church, but I was frustrated because my husband was always gone and I was raising these six kids by myself and blah, 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 you know, so he, she could see through the facade. Anyway, I got asked to help out with a large relief society a meeting that was going to be like the, it was a stake relief society thing. And there were these little individual classes and I got asked to teach a lesson and it had nothing to do with my book. It was just come and teach a class. And I was going to, I was going to, I had prepared this lesson on not judging by appearances that we, you know, that were, were, were good on the inside. And I was using M&Ms as an example of how, you know, they brought out these M&M characters and you had the green one that was, you know, kind of smart and the orange one that was frightened and the green one that was sexy. And, you know, these were all the facades, but on the inside, they were all chocolate, right? They were all the same. So that was my lesson. The stake president who happened to be in our ward called me and said, be sure, don't you dare mention your book at this Relief Society thing. And I was like, I uh, never even thought I was going to. Yeah. yeah, this has nothing to do with it. So I, and I saw, wow, that was amazing because I had attended some firesides where there was a gentleman in our ward that had tried to, same thing that Brad's doing here. He had tried to work with the church missionary program and he had created this whole missionary um, program that he thought was better than what the mission was using right now. He had CDs and, uh, uh, you know, books with mm. you know, the whole bit. And he tried to work with the church and the missionary department. And they were like, yeah, go away. We got this all figured out. But the bishop didn't have any problem at all with this guy coming and talking to the youth about his fabulous missionary program that he had invented. Mm. So of course my patriarchy, you know, alarms were going off when Brad said, so we thought, I know, we'll call the state presidents. And then he started saying that he was going to call. Um, uh, so we started opening up projects under the guise, thought that was a funny name, mm -hmm. state presidents or the district presidents who picked the person who was going to manage the program. Now, what do you think that means when he says they picked the person that was going to manage the program? I don't know. What, what was it? Oh, he gave somebody a calling. Well, you know. okay. that, I yeah. thought of that, but I thought that there was some other. No, no. The stake president was like, yeah, yeah, we like your stuff. We'll give somebody a calling and we'll, we'll have this be the volunteer. Uh, and he said, and that eliminated the problem because I think the political or maybe just kind of turf wars with the with the welfare managers. So he could go above and beyond around and through the welfare managers, go directly to the stake president, said, why don't you call somebody that could, you know, he, they could be the one that could help us distribute this nutrition. And the stake president's like, sounds good. Well, we'll give somebody a calling. Yeah. Right? So yeah. that's that's a volunteer. That's what they did, right? Yeah. And that's what so they did. The volunteer, but they did not give them any supplies any uh, suggestions or any help or it was like, Hey, you take the ball and run with it. Yeah. And we're done here. We, we yeah. did our part. 
Yeah. And he was really good. Let me let me show you a picture. He was really good at, at acknowledging. This is a picture of Brad. Uh -huh. um, I don't know if I can move it over a little bit, but he's a public health physician, right. is married with six children. He is returned missionary from Guayaquil, Guayaquil. I don't know, Ecuador. Yeah. What is it? Guayaquil. I've been oh. there. My oh. dad was the area president over uh, Quito and Guayaquil in uh, Ecuador for when I, it was after I was married, my oldest or youngest, sorry, youngest sister went to high school there. No and, way. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge, big, dirty city. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. did you see starving children when you were there? I saw, I saw um, a lot of what poverty. I, what I would call, yeah, yeah. Abject poverty. It was, yeah. it was awful. Yeah. yeah. It was you saw children just walking barefoot in the streets, eating out of garbage cans. And now, yeah, so, okay. Off topic. Your dad was the area president mm -hmm. there. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, so he went on his mission to Guayaquil and I wonder when that was, did he say, yeah. uh, you know, I think he said it was in the nineties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's very possible. I was there near that time. Or actually, um, I can't remember if he said it was before 1999 when he came back. It was 20 years before that. He, you know what? He's about our age. So I yeah, think he's about our age. He might have gone in the 70s. He might have been there in the 70s. And then he went back in 1999. So he's probably there like in 79. Way earlier. Yeah. 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 Right. So he came back and he is the founder of the Bountiful Children's Foundation. And then he authored a series of articles entitled Spreading Zion Southward in Dialogue. And then he also mentions that he, uh, that it was picked up by another, golly, what was it? Charity in something. It's another church. Oh, common consent. He, um, there was an outlet called by common consent and they talked about his foundation and that gave him some people heard it and donated money. And so for the longest time they were working off like $30,000. And then when this, when the by common consent came out, they, they, all of a sudden they, they reached a million dollar uh, budget. So, yeah. Uh, so that's kind well, of, and I, so much with a million dollars when there's yeah. not many kids. When well, not only that, but a million dollars, I know that sounds like a lot, but um, there again, that's no, that's not any kind of administration. You're not paying any overhead, you know um, there's, there's a guy, the guy that started um, not Google. Um, oh golly. All the web pages. What's his, what's his, Oh, somebody's out there screaming. They're going to know. Anyway, Bob Parsons started um, a website building company. I can't remember what it's called. I think I use him. Anyway, and so he's a very, very wealthy man. And he has, he works with Make-A-Wish Foundation. And when, when we first moved down to Arizona, I thought, well, you know, he has criteria for which nonprofits he will support. You have to have, um, he's really big in the military because I think he's an ex-Marine. And so if you have any kind of military affiliation, if you're working with children, we fit all the criteria, but the last criteria that we didn't fit was you have to have at least a million dollar budget. And we did not have a million dollar budget. But I thought, well, that's not fair. But I think Bob understands that if you don't have the administrators and the people that know what they're doing, I mean, there's, it's complete, it, it, it's, a, um, it's a university degree. Nonprofits is a university degree, uh, you know, okay. people, people study how to run a nonprofit. And, um, 
it, it's a it's a college. So it's like, okay, you got to know what you're doing. This can't. This isn't just a bunch of moms with a bake sale going on anymore. And you know, it's right. 2023. And I I kind of think Brad kind of thinks it is still that. But anyway. Yeah. So he's got his million dollars and he says, I love how he says, um, we don't spend a lot of money on administration or fundraising. We managed to get up to a million dollars. And with that, we opened up services in a couple hundred stakes. Now there again, a couple hundred stakes is specific to the LDS community. And I know that's who he's serving. He's serving LDS children. Um, but anyway, so then Dave asks him, where are you serving now? And where are most of the children that you're, uh, most of the countries that you're in? So he says, he talks about that they're really spread out and everything. But at, at one point he says, but we aren't covering the entire population in these countries. I'm going to say there's 150,000 malnourished LDS kids out there. And we've only gotten to maybe 9,000 of them. So the church itself has started in a collaboration with our foundation providing services to the malnourished kids in Guatemala and Honduras. That is, you know, about 3,000 LDS kids. They're paying for about 3,000 of the kids, and we're covering the other 12,000. And I was like, wow, you have a million dollars. You're covering 12,000. The church is covering three. I mean, come on. And I'm sure they include that in their humanitarian uh, numbers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. The conference. I wonder yeah. if they include all of it, not just their 3000. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's yeah. how people somehow they, they want to take credit for the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. There was a really interesting podcast that I listened to with the, I believe his name is Spencer Anderson and he is um, part of the widow's might. Mm -hmm. And he talked about just the yes. verbiage and the way you can describe, you can say like we collaborated or we, uh, we, we contributed uh, over $10,000, let's say, or something like that, which doesn't mean anything. It just means that, you know, I mean, it was very interesting the way he explained it, but it's it, the way that they talk about their humanitarian, the church's humanitarian efforts, that's what they use. They use the verbiage that makes it out like they've given billions in, you know, in reality, they, they haven't. And they also include, and this is the other thing that kind of got me with this, they also include... Um, volunteer time they calculate the amount of volunteer hours they give it a dollar and then they include that in their total and so when this guy's talking about volunteer hours of people that are helping out um and you know lila just like you said if you were sitting in relief society and they said hey there's this bountiful children's foundation so right away you've got that utah tie sure. and they are trying to eliminate the malnutrition in all of these countries and would you be willing to go stand in the parking lot of the church and hand out these things? Or would you be willing to go door to door or stand in a park and hand this out? Who isn't going to take their kids and go, yeah, we'll be yeah. there. Yeah. That's what Mormons do. That's what Mormons do best, that's you know? Right. We do. So Great. I think that's, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, he yeah. says, he says, now Brad. Malnutrition, of course, knows no religious boundaries. Of course, it affects people. But what do you see among the Latter-day Saint kids? And what have you been witnessed about where they grapple with these that are malnourished or frankly, hungry and starving children in the Latter-day population? So Dave is saying, what do you think about those starving LDS kids? What do you think we should do about it? And Brad's like, um, well, we're better in Africa. And this, I love this. This should be like on a pillow. And that's because we've emphasized wealthier converts in Africa. Yeah. 
I mean, again, my mind just was like, <laughs> what? It's like, you know, I mean, what does that even mean? Does that mean that, because I know the churches, I mean, they have turned all of their in- attention to missionary work in Africa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if there's, if they're singling out or emphasizing proselyting among the higher, uh, more affluent people in Africa, that means that the kids aren't starving, right? right? Right. So they don't have to worry so much about feeding starving children in Africa, although there's billions of starving children in Africa, but they're not the LDS kids, specifically. Maybe, I mean, there may be some, but mostly it's the more affluent families that they're baptizing, but in other countries... You know, they are the LDS kids are starving. Right. Um, and I believe that. I mean, he said, well, I think Peggy asked the question. Um, so what happens to these kids, you know, that are malnourished? And then he literally gets all choked up. And to answer the question, his first answer was, well, they they die. Six, six children on average a day are starving to death and he could barely get that out. Right. And then he said, and the rest of them who aren't as malnourished are, have stunted growth and um, they have uh, their cognitive, cognitive abilities are, are um, stunted as well. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how they, they're not strong and they're not able to work out doing whatever kids labor, child labor that they're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, they can't work as hard because they're undernourished. So, I mean, I looked at that as what kind of a church and who was it? Who's the Relief Society president said, yeah. this is our number one concern. You know, yeah. this, this is the biggest concern we have is yeah. feeding hungry children. And I'm thinking, is it really? Because yeah. like the biggest concern you have is building temples. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. I think her, her Relief Society president, Camille Johnson, by the way, I always like to insert attorney, mother of three. Um, I always like to insert that because it's like, well, in my day, three was not enough, girlfriend. You right. know, well, you've been to the other five. And you worried about your career. Yeah. You weren't having yeah. those babies. Yeah, you must have been born after Ezra Taft Benson's tenure, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right? Anyway, so, and I love in the other, head of the faith global women's organization, that that, that sounds so impressive. I know. And I remember when Sherry Dew was like, we are the largest women's organization. I'm like, girlfriend, nobody's paying dues here. I mean, if you don't count tithing, you know, we don't have a choice. There's no, you know, uh, socialite. And you're counting us as this. Exactly. Board. Exactly. Like we joined somehow on our own, you know the uh, junior league of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But anyway, she says, we are grateful to have the means to collaborate with wonderful organizations and provide relief to children and young mothers in dire need. We are so dang happy that the shell companies that we had have been discovered and that now we have to actually start doing something with our money so that we don't look like the um, selfish pigs that we are. (laughs) Oh, Oh, my gosh. Because I mean, yeah, between that and the stuff that's going on with the Cody, Wyoming temple right now, um, it's oh, just... Yeah, that's right. There's a big uprising. Yeah. Right? Of the, the local people don't want yeah. to. Yeah. But the, it's, the, it's the idea that the church 
like they they have um, like a drone photographs of the materials that have been brought in at a local like a construction site that they were there way before the the uh, public you know um, permit was even issued. They're like we're building a temple. We're going to pretend like we care what you guys think, but actually we're going to build it whether you like it or not. And, you know, they just, they started all. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, we're so happy we can feed these, all 3,000 of those, yeah. you know, 15,000 that are dying. You know, we're going to. The rest of them, we just go, oh, sorry. Yeah. We ran out of funds. We won't tell you about our stash of money that we're not appropriating to you starving people. We're not well, and yeah. And the problem is if you go through the church handbook and you look at how they handle uh, people that are in trouble. Okay. Now maybe this is what I did, I did actually take a screenshot of it's like, no, this one is about church property. Um, oh yeah. It says uh, principles for providing church assistance. Number one, encourage personal and family responsibility. Oh, Number two, yeah. Number two, provide temporary assistance for essential needs. Temporary. Number three, provide resources or services other than cash and offer work or service opportunities. And then keep information about church assistance confidential. And then they go on to say, and contact your family and ask them first before you come to us. Please. Yeah. They will do anything to not have to give a dime. Yeah. Like yeah. they will, they'll, they'll try every other opportunity, every other aspect. They'll, they'll pawn it off on someone else to yeah. do some voluntary work instead of actually giving some money to the people yeah. who are giving them money. You know, it's yeah. like, it's so messed up. It is so not what Jesus taught. I mean, yeah. if they want to be Christ centered, they're missing the mark exactly. entirely. Yeah. Completely. Are you familiar with the naked pastor? No. Is that okay? A, he is, is that a, a kick in the head. He is a, um, uh, a uh, he is a um, deconstructed pastor, and well, he was in a, or what? No, know? I I think he's back east somewhere. I have to look him up. He, um, but he deconstructed from an evangelical, you uh, know, yeah, uh, pastor. Yeah, and he, um, but he's also uh, an artist. So he draws these little cartoons and this last one that he put on, let's see if I took a picture of it. It was so cute. He's got a picture of Jesus sitting there with an attorney. And, um, and then he says, my client claims that your client claims to be my client. And so he's <laughs> sitting across from a, a, a church, like a little drawing of a church with their lawyer. And is like, my client claims that your client claims to be my client. So it's like, you think you're Jesus? You're not working with what Jesus said. So it's, no. yeah, his name is um, Howard. He's fabulous. He's on Instagram, Naked Pastor. Look him up. He's, he's amazing. Up. Yeah. 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 But no, that's the funniest thing. It's like, I don't know. I mean, if I remember correctly, and I am not a Bible scholar whatsoever, but if I remember that Jesus was telling the people, you don't need a temple. I know your temple is, you know, is, is going to be destroyed or whatever the apocalyptic, you know, thing was that everybody was worried about, or maybe it had been destroyed. I can't remember the timeline. Where is RFM when you need him? And, um, but he was saying, that's okay. You don't need a building because you can have me, you know, I can be I with you. you. I can be with you at all times. You don't need a building, but we seem to think we need buildings. So, and big, huge, beautiful, expensive buildings full of yeah. giant chandeliers that could feed a small country. 
Yeah. With, speaking of, of the poor, with a requirement to give 10% of your income if you want to get into that you building. Get in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then you, but if you don't get into that building, you're not going to heaven no. or you're not going to be with Jesus or your family. So, no. I was kind of you. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so let's go on. So he says, um, um, so we see less malnutrition in Africa, but that's still the worst place for us. I mean, there's probably, it's coming up. It's almost going to hit 50% of the malnourished kids. I would expect 50% of the kids that are malnourished that are church members to be in Africa in 20 years. The Philippines, Asia is worse than the average population. What does that mean? than the rest of the communities in which they live. And that's because they're baptizing people who have lower incomes on average than the average population over in Asia. Latin America is about the same. The South Pacific, there's actually a significant population in the South Pacific that's malnourished. It's about the same as the general population as well. So there he, he admits that they're they're baptizing the poor and the needy. And so they don't even have the money to take care of their own families. And and even if they set up some kind of a, a branch or a ward, or I don't even know what they do, th there's not enough money to, I think he mentioned somewhere in here, something like a dollar per family that they're given, but it actually costs $6 a month per family, but they, they're only given a dollar through fast offerings, which I thought was like, eek. I don't know if I would talk about that out loud, but then he goes in and he talks about the, the nutritional products that they give. And that, as you said, was a little scary as I was listening to it. Concerning to me. Yeah. So he says there are four to five food products. So I'll go over the food products you can use. We'll start out with meat or animal protein, but that's too expensive. I mean, animal protein costs four times what we're paying. So we can't afford animal protein. So you throw that out. The next higher cost thing you could use is eggs. I guess that they're, um, they're still animal protein, but they're not as expensive as meat fish, chicken, and pork, but they're still more expensive than powdered cow's milk. So probably the thing we use the most is, well, it's not the thing we use the most. In some countries where there's not a good supplement available, we do use powdered cow's milk, but it costs $12 a month for a full supply for a child for a month. Since we only have $6 to spend, then we give them half the calories they need with powdered cow's milk. That's a very good nutritional supplement after age one. Then you go to the world's best supplement, which are soy-based products. I'm like, is it though? Anyway, um, throughout South America, we use mostly soy-based products. We can do that for about $5 per kid a month. So if you can find a soy-based product and we have people manufacture it for us in many areas, we will use a soy-based product. So then he goes and talks about using a little corn, a little bit of oil, a little bit of powdered cow's milk, um, a, a, a corn and soy blend. And then he, at the end, he says, you know, adults really don't like to eat soy that much. It's not really tasty. If you've ever eaten soy, you'll know that. You can come try it. I'll give you some. It doesn't taste very good. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's kind of like, I want, are those supplements, are we just holding our nose and like taking castor oil? Is it? Is it? It kind of sounds like it. I mean, I guess if, their kid, if the kids are hungry enough, they'll take it. They'll yeah. Take whatever they're given. Um, it's just sad that that's what they're dealing with. They're yeah. not really dealing with actual food. Yeah. It's, it's a dried product. I guess well, you constitute it with water and, and drink it. Yeah. With the oil, and I guess not knowing anything about these countries specifically, you know, you're thinking, wouldn't it 
you know how you know you know the the vending machines that they have at Christmas time, and yeah. you'll you can push a goat, like yeah, let's yeah. Give a goat to a family. Yeah. Uh huh. It's the Make a Wish, or no? Yeah. Sorry, it's the light your family or light, light your, the world. Light, light the, the world. world. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, could they give them a goat, or could they give them chickens that could yeah, multiply? That would be a lovely idea. Or could they give them a cow? But I think what he what happens is that because he talks a little bit about this because he asks them about working with the government. Have you tried to work with the governments? And he goes, no, he goes, it's it's so dishonest that they take the money and run. And they she even he even tells a story at one time of one of their 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 workers that went and took some money out and was taking it to a state president or something. And she got um, robbed on the way. So, and that's, and I believe that. So, I mean, I'm sure you could probably give them a chicken and then the, a cow and somebody more with more power would go, yeah, that's my cow. And we're taking that, <laughs> you know, I know I, it's just, I'm laughing, not out of the, this isn't funny. It's a yeah. horrible plight that we are dealing with in the world that we live in. Yeah. A safe environment for these kids exactly let's let's play the um their video that tells a little bit about what they do hi i'm sarah walker i'm with the leahona children's foundation the leahona children's foundation can generally estimate which countries have a problem with malnutrition based off of available international health data and we welcome the opportunity to collaborate with local and area authorities in identifying which stakes in those countries are in the greatest need. After liaising with area authorities, stakes are selected where the Liahona Children's Foundation can begin their program. At that point, we contact stake presidents to make sure that they are interested in the program. Once they are, we work with them to establish a time to be able to conduct a screening. The screening is relatively simple and consists of us taking height and weight of children and pregnant women to identify which of those are malnourished and can be on the program. Once the children are identified, a local member is selected by the stake president to become a coordinator. The coordinators, while paid a small stipend, are very dedicated and volunteer a lot of their time to distribute supplements monthly to children that are malnourished and to rescreen them so that we can check their progress. Many of the families that we work with have been stuck in a cycle of malnutrition for generations, and it's our hope that we can help break that. If there are any districts or stakes in your area that you feel are in need, we would welcome the opportunity to discuss with you further how we might be able to address those needs. So that's, I mean, that's amazing what they're doing. And um, sadly, when I watch that and I see how they're using the stakes and, but then again, you know, I had to get on the, um, the, how the church kind of fluctuates between its rules and things like that. Um, because it's like, well, in the, in the United States, the church is pretty, um, 
where does it say? It says church property may not be used for commercial purposes. For example, it may not be used to support any kind of business. Such a use does not align with the purposes of church properties. It could also conflict with local or national laws that may allow tax exemption of church property. They should have put that at the very beginning because that's the real reason. The following are examples of commercial uses that are not approved promoting or sponsoring businesses or investments, buying, selling, or promoting products, services, publications, or creative works, holding unauthorized fundraising activities, and um, hosting speakers, let me see, or instructors who recruit participants, solicited, solicit customers or clients, or are paid a fee while giving seminars. And so, and I know they're really strict about that in the United States, um, using the church for any anything like yeah. this. And and I know that they're kind of bypassing that by trying to affiliate with the church, but they're not a church organization. It, it, it hasn't been adopted. It's not recognized as an arm of the humanitarian. They're, they're kind of, they're almost like, well, you know, it's kind of like you see with the fair conferences and some of the other things where we're not affiliated with the church, but the church just gave us $10,000 because we know that they can be more effective. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like it's an, it's one of those arms. And I mean, when, and when you see what they're doing with these lovely members of the church that have been taught about tithing and service and, and, yeah. you know, they've already got callings, which is something probably new to their culture and things. And then they're, they're also saying, yeah, let's, let's, you know, help our starving children. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, they have service missionaries. They're, they're, mm -hmm that that the church does i don't know to what degree or percent i should do some homework on that and see how many of them are actually go to these kind of countries and work to help people like that you know bringing yeah things. um that would i would say you know you've got all these couples who want to serve a mission mm -hmm. um older couples that's something that I could see them maybe helping with is more humanitarian service and paid by the church. These people don't need to pay their own way. The, right. thing, the church, I mean, if there was anything that I could say, well, there's a lot that I could say, but one of the largest things I'd like, the biggest things I'd like to say to one of the first presidency is Feed your starving people and stop building temples. Yeah, stop. exactly. Yeah. Pay for your missionaries to serve missions. Don't make them pay. Yeah. Stop asking for tithing from poor people. Right. Stop. These people who can't pay for food, don't tell them to pay their tithing first. Right. Stop it. You're living right. in these, you know, you live in these mansions in comparison to what these people have. You have a giant lavish meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you're telling these starving people that they need to pay their tithing first. Right. Stop. It right. is so wrong. It is just upside down. And, and if Jesus could see it right now, I mean, I don't even necessarily believe in Jesus as deity. I, I can't even say that I know that anymore, but I do know how the church holds Jesus as a role model Right. They're not following him. Right. They're not. Right. Well, and especially I've always, I, you know, I, I look at my mother um, and I, I don't understand. And this is, this is a, a planned, uh, um, they're eliminating this knowledge on purpose is what I'm trying to say. So I look at my parents that are retired. So my dad paid into a pension. 
Um, he had an insurance policy um, from that was tied in with his, uh, he was born in England. So England provided some kind of a retirement program for him. And, but this was all money that he had invested in, you know, like Medicare. It's like something that was taken out of his paycheck every week. So they're now retired. They, they're living on a fixed income and they they continue to pay tithing on money that was already tithed on. Yes. I, I don't understand why they yes. don't stand up and say, you people paid on your gross income, then they took out taxes, then they took out social security, then they took all of this out. And now you're getting you're social security, security that, on, you've already that you've already paid tithing on. You don't need to pay tithing anymore, but they can't bring themselves to do that because it's just, you know, it's just money. And one of the things that he said, which is exactly what you were, what you were pointing out was, um, it, when he talked about like service missionaries, where was it? He said, um, he said, Peggy says, I mean, it does seem that the church has a pretty good system to get wards and stakes and the area presidencies. You would think that having a program like yours, that the church could implement it fairly easily, right? I mean, the system is in place. The structure seems like it could be utilized that way. And then this is what Brad says. He says, I'll give you some information here. He says, so there's been at least by the church, either at the area level or at least one that originated up in Salt Lake, there's probably been seven or eight attempts to implement malnutrition programs. They were all technical failures, not even close. I mean, they were so bad that they didn't even get anywhere close to first base on them. Why? Because, you know, if you call a couple who's serving a mission that were professionals, let's say I take people who ran a construction business. That was one person that tried to do it. Well, that doesn't allow you to know what to do for childhood malnutrition. I mean, you just don't know what you're doing. I'm sorry, but it doesn't translate. It's not like calling a mission president. You have to call people with professional backgrounds in that area. So there were a lot of attempts to do it through the area presidency, but they were technical failures. And I thought... That says it all right there. He's yeah. trying to work with people that are not professionals that know how to work with malnutrition, you know, children that are suffering from malnutrition. So you're asking people that are a banker or you're a dentist or you're a construction worker, right. or maybe you owned a tech business. You don't know anything about childhood malnutrition, well, but you think they don't know anything about therapy or helping exactly or what to do with abuse victims and Exactly. They don't know how to handle that. They're, they're carpet salesmen or whatever. Right. Um, I, there was a part there too in the podcast that I noticed where he said, oh no, I've lost my train of thought. It was, it was like he said that the money, oh gosh, I'll think of it in a minute. It was okay. right on the tip of my tongue and then I okay. Think of it and then interrupt me if you think of it. Okay. The one thing too that I wanted to bring out was, so Dave says, Brad, I was just going to ask about the Relief Society because I mean, that's in their name, Relief Society. It's in the name. And it seems like the General Relief Society level right on down to the congregational level would could help immensely with this project, right? Because hello, don't we ask the Relief Society and the women to do all the work and they're the nurturers, they're the mothers. They're naturally made to do all this. Yes, what are you asking these guys? You say, area presidencies are busy. They're flying around back and forth. They're home, yes. they're out of town most of the time. True, they are. And yeah. they really aren't set up to handle a, you know, a humanitarian effort no. on top 
of all the other duties. Yeah, exactly. In a sense, I get it because women have been put in the position in the church to be the ones that get, you know, get their hands dirty and actually do the hard things or, or, you know, get down and dirty with, with the jobs. Men sometimes, you know, they'll help someone move or whatever, or, you know, they, they can also get their hands dirty, but not the area presidents. They're busy. So get the relief society. They're sitting around watching TV and eating bonbons. They're they're just changing diapers. They can, what what are they doing? So life. Yeah. So then his response is the rumor is that the general, the attorney with three children, the rumor is that the general relief society president has been assigned by the highest possible person to implement this, but she has no bureaucratic authority to hire. She doesn't have any personnel. She doesn't have any budget. I mean, the budget is through somebody else over in humanitarian for members. That was my favorite part. She doesn't have the power. She doesn't have the bureaucratic authority. They have robbed women of all their power. So now they can't use women to have to exercise power. Yeah. So even if they said, hey, attorney Camille Johnson, you're an attorney, you're a smart woman. Um, you're now in charge of the humanitarian uh, arm of a bountiful children's foundation. And she would go, all right, let me tell you that I'm going to make it work. I'm going to hire these people that are professional. We're going to start giving them $65,000 a year, which is nothing, but still, you know, we're going to, we're yeah. going to get an administrator. We're going to get a building. We're going to get it named, you know, that, you know, and they'd say, Oh, Oh we no, you can't do that. Who do you yeah. think you are? Yeah, you're- Did you ask? the guy in charge of the humanitarian thing, if you could do that. I mean, that was my favorite part. She doesn't have the bureaucratic authority to hire. I thought, yeah, that's why it's because, and I, and I, I didn't have time to look this up, but I wanted to look up the statistic. Do you remember, I think it was after world war two when relief society had their autonomy and they were able to keep all of their money. And so the church is like, they're, they're like, this is in the sixties. They're, they're going bankrupt. Like we are starving to death. What, how much money do you girls have? You know, how much grain do you have stored? What kind of a programs did you guys implement that you were helping families that we didn't know anything about? Oh, that is not okay. You give us all your money. We will take care of it. And we will, you know, siphon it out to you from that point on the relief society, they, they had, they already had grain, they had food storage, they had all kinds of things. They had their bazaars that they were doing. They were oh, raising yeah, money. I remember those yeah. They had money in the bank and the church was suffering. And they're like, well, first of all, we can't have these women showing us up <laughs> and then like, give us your money. And I remember reading in one of the books that I read and they were saying how a lot of the relief society presents were like, uh, you want our leftover budget? I'm going to go spend every dime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll give you what's left over. And they went by right. tablecloths and all kinds. We're going to have parties yeah. and use the cultural hall and do all kinds of. Yeah. They did. Those were great days. We had yeah. fun. That we was when the church worked. When the yeah. Um, I was also thinking about how we used to have those humanitarian nights, and maybe you, maybe yeah. they still do this. I don't know because I haven't been for a while but we would go and we'd make these kits right yeah humanitarian kits and i pictured in my mind naively the church you know in a helicopter with all these kits dropping down all this food to the starving people <laughs> and the freedom helicopter yeah it said like 
you know, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on, on the helicopter. Yeah. So everyone knew that who was doing it. And yeah. they were flying around, dropping food down to these people that would clamor up and get their little package <laughs> and run off home. And, yeah. and I thought, I'm so proud to be a part of this. Yeah. That's not what was happening. No. You know, <laughs> yeah. they weren't doing anything like that. They were giving it to other charities. Yeah. And the other charities were distrib distributing. Apparently, yeah. this is what I hear now. Yeah. And that's one of the things that he mentions. And I don't remember if I highlighted it in here, but that was one of the things I wanted to ask RFM. We didn't have a chance to, but she, he mentions that they use, that they, they, um, probably what was it? Cause he was a little bit bitter. You could hear, you could hear the bitterness. He says, um, mm -hmm, 45 million. Uh, that's, he said, you know, this donation we just talked about the 44 million, that's to the very biggest players in malnutrition around the globe. They left out Oxfam, they left out UNICEF, but I think they've donated to those two groups in the past. And then he says, um, yeah, I mean, is that how we should be? Uh, they've given to UNICEF. Should we make the divisions like Caritas, like ADRA? In my opinion, yes. We should make a division that can run this kind of stuff for ourselves. And they've we've contracted that out to somebody that knows what they're doing. But right now, there is no such thing as that division. So I think there's some hesitancy to work with us. We're a small group. We've got a lot of BYU professors on there. We've got a lot of ex-mission presidents and all kinds of experienced people. We've got a much better technical team than anything that's up in Salt Lake in just our, our little foundation. But there's hesitancy to work with somebody that's small so we don't have our own thing so the project is funded but nobody implements it and so basically you know it reminds me of when they made that large donation to the NAACP or they make a large they just made a huge donation I don't know if it was that huge I want to say three million but I could be wrong to vac to Bill Gates's foundation in Africa and I think to Red Cross some of the other uh uh, nonprofits that are working with vaccinations in Africa, they right. just donated some money to them. And they're, they're more than willing to, they want to donate to the big guys. They want to donate to the already popular people so that they can say, we've donated this much money to UNICEF and we've donated this much money to the Red Cross. They're not going to donate to some little, you know, thing out of Bountiful, Utah or wherever it is based out of Las Vegas or whatever. And that's sad that he recognizes that they're too small to yeah. for the church to work for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's another mind blowing thing. So, you well, anyway, their own humanitarian arm. like, And that's what he says. Why don't we have, why aren't we? Cause he talks about the seventh day Adventist program. And we talked about that when we were uh, talking about the vaccination and, oh, and the Lutheran, the Lutheran charitable service, I believe is the largest charitable wow. service in the nation. And, and I, I thought I would be, so ashamed to be the prophet of the only true and living church on the earth, claiming to have the only true priesthood uh, restored through Jesus Christ on the earth and the largest. Yeah. Yeah. The largest organization, the very front of it says Lutheran. Yeah. Yeah. Or seventh day Adventist. I would be so ashamed. Yeah. You would think they would want to outshow outshine yeah. everybody. Yeah. When, when they have, but see that, I think they they want to keep their money under wraps. They don't want anyone really knowing how much they have because then you expect more. 
right? right? Where much is given, much is expected yeah. or required, whatever the yeah. actual quote is. And, and so they don't want to have to do that. They don't want to have right. to cough it up because they're, right. they're, they're keeping it for some unknown purpose, some rainy day. And I would have thought COVID was a pretty rainy day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, did they yeah. even buy a single ventilator or hospital bed or did they, did they do anything? I didn't hear about it if they did. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, so it's like, know. what, what constitutes a rainy day? Children yeah. dying every day, you know, yeah. does that help? Is that anything a, a rainy? Yeah. Because I don't understand. The priorities are out of whack. Yeah, exactly. They're, They're out of whack. Yeah. Yeah. Property, buying, buying up property. property. I don't know how that's helping Stop. the children, you know. And I would even put children starving and, and mothers. And I was going to mention, too, the thing that amazed me was for some odd reason, um, I clicked on something and I and they... Um, they they were talking about Christy Turlington. And I thought, Christy Turlington? I haven't heard her name for a long time. Yeah. Well, she was a big, big model for Vogue and, and Calvin Klein back in the 90s. Yeah, and um, Grant, I think. Yeah. And she got very into, uh, her mother was a flight attendant. Her mother uh, served a lot in an organization called CARE. And so she worked a lot with CARE. And then she worked with some others. And then she eventually... Uh, because of her experience as having a difficult childbirth, um, she started her own foundation. She went back to school, got a master's degree in in uh, something I can't even remember, uh, but something to do with humanitarian service. And she now has this nonprofit, and they show her going around trying to help mothers get the nutrition and the medical service that they need. They said ninety percent of the deaths that are happening for these women could be prevented. And that's her cause. And I'm thinking, you know, she didn't say I'm Catholic, I'm Lutheran, I'm Seventh-day Adventist. I asked the church, I asked the Catholic church if they would fund my nonprofit. She started a nonprofit and she figured out how to fund it. Now I'm sure her fame mm -hmm. got her where she, you know, she wanted to be. And that's beautiful when people use their power and their wow. influence yeah, in that yeah. area. Yeah. And, you know, Brad, Brad Walker doesn't have any power influence. And, no. and these other professors from BYU that are on the board of directors, they don't have any power. And, you know, it would only take somebody like Mitt Romney or somebody to get on there and say, hey, I support the Bountiful Children's Foundation wow. for them, you know, yeah. but he's not because he's a politician and he doesn't want right. to do that. And for the same reason that the church, you know, when he, he talks about the fact that they don't want to get, they're hesitant to get involved because of liability. Right. And they don't, you know, if somebody came back and said, my children ate your nutrition soy bar with oil and, and, uh, they and, uh, they died or yeah, they lot. died. Then they, and they know the church is a, you know, gazillion dollar church. We'll sue them. We'll get all the money. I get that. I get that. But that doesn't seem to start, stop the Lutherans or Catholic charities. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? Yeah. So I don't know. It's yeah. They're, anyway. just, they're just chicken. Yeah. But let's let's end it by just how Brad ends it. He says, well, he says, what are your hopes for the coming years and what can regular members do? So, again, on top of your fast offering, your temple donation, your mission fund, your tithing. Well, if they donate to our foundation, they can get to the kids immediately because we can expand. But our budget has been at about one point two million now for five or six years. So I'm not expecting that that's going to happen. But that's one way that the average Jane or Joe could contribute. That's probably the only way at present. But like I say, the church has a very aggressive schedule. 
They want to, by the end of 2024, have every LDS child screened and taken care of. But the only way for that to happen is through the group already out there doing it. I mean, if they tried to do more pilots, more planning, more planning phase, more just superficial action that could drag on, it's going to go on for years. And I love that he was honest about that because the church is stalling, helping this foundation by pilot programs, planning yeah. committees. I mean, where else have we seen planning committees or pilot programs that are revelation? You know, they don't seem to have a hard time clamping down on the LBGTQ community, but they have pilot program for that one. Right. They, exactly. They've always done things this way, if it seems. And it's the slow boat way. Like if you, if, if Jesus is or heavenly father is talking to you on a regular basis, what do you need a pilot program for? Right. Oh. Just implement what God tells you to do. Yeah. Or if you're receiving revelation, what do you need a pilot program for? Right. If, if you've prayed about how can we serve our malnourished children in all of these countries right. that we're sending missionaries to, it's like, why do you need a committee? You shouldn't. You should, there, there should be no committees. Exactly. No, um, surveys you know yeah. they put out these surveys tell us about what you think about this or that and it's like well why do you have to send surveys out to find out you know take the pulse of the the uh, membership you, you you talk to heavenly father all the time i mean he yeah. can tell you what to do yeah right now yeah and i mean it's so his creation it's he should be able to fair, figure it out. but that's not what's happening exactly there's no direct line um, yeah. these are just a bunch of guys just yeah well and it's did you just listen to rfm just put out a podcast just a few like yesterday i think and he was talking about the survey that's going around and oh, yeah the, yeah yeah i took yeah. it right afterwards yeah me too and the gentleman i love how rfm said the gentleman that's conducting the surveys that this doesn't have anything to do with the church and yeah. rfm's like baloney whatever baloney it's all going to the church yeah, yeah they're all going to take that and go okay next Okay, let's see. It's August. They've got till October to plan the next tops, the, the next talks where they're saying, you know, love, love the apostates. They didn't leave to so they could sin. We've done a survey. We now know why they left. <laughs> that would be fun if they would do that. Yeah, they left because they don't trust us. So, oh, that's yeah. what it is. What is that they want that? us to apologize and they said they're never coming back <laughs> and repent oh yeah they're they're not coming back yeah ever. So why? what if we change all these things then that should bring them right back right oh i know yeah i can't even imagine i mean when i took that survey i was like unless they came out and said look we're just going to be Protestant. We're just going to admit the Book of Mormon is a made up fictional, wonderful Harry Potter story. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to, you know, the whole Doctrine and Covenants is just, you know, also made up. And we're just going to admit that we love Jesus and yeah. we're going to start following the teachings of Jesus and the Bible. And, and they're never going to do that. And all are welcome. Yes. We don't care if you're gay. We don't care if, yeah. what color you are. You know, everyone is everyone gets the priesthood or we're going to do away with the priesthood because let's be honest, it doesn't really work. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, it, we've made that up too. Yeah. So, yeah. My, my thing this is what I told my husband, I said, when they make six of those 12 apostles, women. Yeah. I'll think about it. But yeah. until then. Yeah. So, I don't um, even think I'd come back then. It'd be like yeah. too little too late. Guys. Yeah. 
Well, you got to go back to the basics, right? I mean, if the Book of Mormon is not, uh, you know, a, a, a revealed, you know, historical document, and then yeah. Joseph Smith was a con man, I mean, you're going back to, you Day know, one. yeah. So, uh -huh. and, you know, con man and cult leader. So, yeah. And on that note, mm -hmm. I think we should say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we better. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lila. It. it was this fun. Was, yeah, this was a fun discussion. It was, it was just great to get it off my back. I just remember my poor husband, the poor, <laughs> poor true believing Mormon man. That yeah. when I, I'm listening to this and I'm like, all right, now listen to just this one part, you know, and then I clicked it on, then I clicked it off. And I said, as a bishop, do you remember being told that you couldn't contact people in the ward if you had a, uh, if you wanted to sell Amway, you couldn't use the church yeah. list to contact everybody? Because yeah, I'm saying, so he went to stake presidents. Do you think that's right? He's like, no, probably not. I'm like, okay, that's all well, right. it's not a, it's a, it's a nonprofit. Right. It's a little different. Yeah. And it's feed starving kids. Exactly. That's a little different. They're not padding their own wallets right um so it's not like amway right but i know that you know that's still he he just kind of broke maybe he didn't have a handbook yeah <laughs> he didn't know what the rules were he i didn't don't know, know that. yeah and i think he maybe he had some you know friends in authority that he thought yeah. well, i know you know elder yeah. Jones and he's an area president and you know something like that so yeah yeah we're not gonna bad mouth Brad he's a good guy he's trying to do something I think his heart's yeah. in the right place totally a hundred percent kept you know the rules and he may have overstepped his bounds and he may have exercised some white male privilege there you go yeah and, and that I will say amen and that is good all right good night sister hey, you all too right. we'll, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks bye-bye Oh my gosh, that was so fun. I, I love having these girl discussions about this kind of stuff. But and it, it, you do have to look at it from a female perspective um, because that was one of the first things is I know as the president of our foundation, um, you know, our foundation served families that had children that were completely wheelchair dependent. We helped them purchase wheelchair accessible vehicles. And I cannot imagine, you know, I know the church takes in used wheelchairs and things like that and disperses them to areas of the world that need wheelchairs and things like that. And I, what if I, you know, if I started calling area presidents, they'd go, who are you? What is your calling? Who told you you could call me? You know, I mean, it was kind of like the, when the Brit Vengers, when Nemo started sending out letters, they're like, how'd you get our address? You can't contact me. I, you know, so for, for him to say, we contact stake presidents, I've thought, who do you know in high places that you're able to do this? But I do agree with Lila. His heart is in the right place and his purpose is hundred percent fabulous. And Hey, if you want to donate to the bountiful children's foundation, I think you should do it. And, and I hope that they do somehow get more funding for the work that they're doing, because looking at those beautiful babies in that video that they had on their website, it's just heart wrenching. So kudos to what you're trying to do. And I'm sorry that the church is not helping you out more. Uh, in your efforts to do what you're doing. So anyway, thanks everyone for joining us on She Became Visible. It's so great to be back. And I'm going to be with um, this Friday, I'm going to be on Mormonish with Rebecca and Landon. I'm excited to do that. That's going to be fun. We, I just had the most fun. We went to Sunstone this summer and had so much fun with the people that we saw there. I mean, Ben Parks and 
and Rebecca and Landon and RFM. And I mean, it was just a kick in the pants. It was so much fun. We've had a great summer, um, but uh, fall's my favorite. And September for me is my new year. That is my happy new year. Kids are back in school. Everything's back on some kind of a schedule. And it's always been my favorite time of year. I hope it's yours as well. So have a great rest of the week and we will see you on She Became Visible next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.